0: This episode of Beer and Bullshit is brought to you by Longhorn Lager from Farmers Creed Beer. It's
1: time to grab the bull by the horns.
0: Oh, welcome to Beer and Bullshit, the podcast about beer, uh, where we usually drink beer and we talk a lot of bullshit. I'm your host Ben Johnson. Uh, recording this intro without my co-host Chris Pellerin but for the Pellheads out there a big treat this is a solo Pellerin episode that's right you won't hear my uh, nasally yet charming voice through this episode Chris Pellerin has conducted an interview himself for an episode so uh, you're welcome I'm sorry however you feel about Chris that's what's happening I apologize for not having a show last week, and I apologize for not being able to be a part of the interview this week. Um, not to get too personal and too Debbie or too quickly, but there was a, a death in my family. Um, someone that I was pretty close with, or looked up to for sure growing up, uh, was quite sick and was getting worse, and uh, I'm thankful we live in a country where uh medically assisted death is a thing and he got to go out on his own terms so shout out to compassionate healthcare uh, and allowing people to die with dignity i know if you read the interwebs uh, a lot of people are shitting on canada these days but uh, there's some some good stuff here still so i personally am grateful for that to beer news uh yes I am aware that Rhythm and Brews in Cambridge has closed down. I think uh, most of the people who follow Beer and Bullshit on Instagram or some form of social media have sent me that post. Uh, As you'll remember, I uh, kind of predicted it might be going this way when this quote-unquote brewery started selling Bud Light um, to appease customers that kept asking for it. I had some opinions on whether or not you should sell Bud Light at your craft brewery. Uh, if you listen to the show you're already familiar with them first of all i'd like to note that i don't take any pleasure in knowing that a business has closed down aside from the pleasure you get when someone tells you you're right about something because it's always nice to be right about things but that said it's unfortunate that a business has closed down i don't actually know a ton about this particular business i know it definitely had its staunch defenders i also know that a lot of uh Former employees are in my DMs, and uh, obviously they have their own access to grind, so take whatever they've said with a, a grain of salt, but uh, maybe there was some not-so-great stuff happening there. My understanding, it was someone's, uh, I would say, side project, or maybe vanity project, and I for my money that's not gonna be a sustainable business model for a craft brewery every craft brewery i know that's made it has uh you know the owner and the leadership at that company has put everything they have into it and they're there all the time so i don't know i'm not gonna rub salt in the wound or gloat but i think if you want to run a craft brewery a it should be your only vocation and b you shouldn't sell bud light so i know there are people there that are passionate about making beer presumably i know that they had uh Probably some people were uh, fans of that venue. I understand they had good live music, but anyway, stop sending me that thing on Instagram. Yes, I'm aware. I don't actually take any real pleasure in it. Okay, let's get to some fun stuff, and uh, fun stuff that doesn't include me. Hooray. Um, Chris, uh, this week, is interviewing Justin Belanger, who is a co-owner of Storm State Brewery here in London. For the uninitiated, Storm State is an excellent brewery in London's uh, South End, near Wortley Village. Definitely walkable from Wortley Village. Um, excellent beers. They just had a second Fest that I've had to miss. Like, kicking myself. They have an event called Logger Than Life. They've done two now. The lineup looks fucking amazing, and I haven't been able to make it either year. Uh, I have emailed Justin about being on the show before. So, for the record, he immediately responded positively to Chris. But not me. I'm not going to take it personally. Um, Frankly, I don't go to Storm State as much as I should. It's like just a little too far. So, yeah, I apologize. Every time I've gone, it's been a great time. But I tend to stay a little closer to home. And, to be fair, Chris went to the brewery to record this. So, he really put in the effort. This is our first first on-site recording, and I wasn't even there. Also, Chris's brother... Probably helped put, uh, you know, a second level on Justin Belanger's house from the amount of time and money he spends in Stormstead. At least that's how it looks from his Instagram. So there's a family connection. The Pellerins are helping Stormstead stay afloat in these troubling times. I don't know if that's accurate. Anyway, I'm going to shut the fuck up now. Uh, Chris and Justin had a nice chat, and that's how I would classify it. I just listened to it and gave a little bit of an edit. but It's just uh, it's two nice gents having a chat about beer. No snark, uh, no talking about businesses that are going to fail. So uh, enjoy. Here's Chris and Justin. We're going.
1: Uh, I'm here with Justin Belanger, uh, co-owner of Stormstay Brewing here in London. And uh, welcome to the show, Justin. Well, thank you for having me. Uh, well, I'm, I'm here on site at Stormstay. Cheers. Cheers. Oh, that's fresh that's fresh so you are part of the first beer and bullshit podcast on site that isn't on site in like ben's backyard or basement this is actually on-site at a brewery and uh it's pretty cool uh thanks for having me yeah we closed down a taproom just for you that's great <laughs> uh i was i was actually trying to meet up with my brothers a couple of weeks ago and so let's meet at storm state and it was a tuesday and i was Wrapping something up at a kids' sports game and uh, wasn't wasn't going to work. And fortunately, yeah, we
2: do close a tad early on Tuesdays, but um, maybe that will change in the future. We'll see what happens there. Okay, and then you can go to the sports games and then come to the bar afterwards.
1: I like it. Um, so as I said, Justin is a co-owner here at Storm State, and uh, Justin, I know you're from PEI. So how did you get here? Tell us a little bit about your journey from a Prince Edward Islander to an owner of a brewery in London, Ontario. Um, pretty much, I, uh, uh,
2: me and my partner moved to London, Ontario, uh, going on 12 years now, uh, whenever she did her uh, master's at Western. Um, we kind of went back and forth, so, and who had a good job, they didn't have a good job. Uh, and eventually got to, uh, she had a really good job that made us not want to leave uh, Ontario, and I wasn't too happy with mine, and that uh, kind of uh, precipitated uh, starting this business.
1: Okay, is, yeah. she, is she out east from out east as well? Yeah, yeah. So both her and I are from Prince Edward Island. Okay, cool. I don't know that many people from PEI, and uh, uh, as our listeners will be aware, I just got back from an East Coast trip, and. Uh, While I was, before I went there, I was talking to you and I said, Any good recommendations for things to do in Prince Edward Island? And you, of course, responded with all breweries to go to instead of actual locations to go to. But uh, I might have told you to go to Cape Tryon.
2: It's probably my favorite lighthouse, but uh, most of the other spots worth visiting on PEI are breweries and distilleries. There's a a significant amount out there that are delicious and worth visiting. What would you say would be your, your favorite brewery? PEI. I'd say my one of my favorite breweries to visit on PEI is probably Copper Bottom out in uh Montague. I just like the vibe of the space. Their beers have been fantastic. Um but in saying that, um I'm good friends with Hoagie out at Upstreet and his beers are phenomenal and his tap room is one of the first ones um after Gahan House, uh, which was uh uh, PEI Brewing Company's uh, little pub that they have and then more recently Lone Oak has opened up uh, a facility in Borden, and then now they have a couple other facilities as well including a, a tap room in Charlton.
1: Now, that has uh, that's gone on to be a chain. Cahan is now a chain. I
2: think they have uh, seven or nine different brew pubs around uh, the Maritime. So they have one in Nova Scotia, one in Halifax, Fredericton, St. John, uh, but they also have a uh, bigger facility in Charlton. Uh, called PEI Brewing Company and they do a lot of their stuff that's in the PEI LCC and Nova Scotia LC that's
1: brewed there. I I was actually went to the Gahan house in in Fredericton and I'm glad that you mentioned Lone Oak because I brought you a little taste from home this was I don't know if this is Quench it's a field berry table beer from Lone Oak and we stopped at the brew house just when we got into PEI and uh, my wife had one of these with lunch and then uh, grabbed a twelve pack, filled up our whole cooler. And I said, "You can't buy all the beer at the first place that you like beer." So, uh, here you go. You don't have to drink that right now. I don't know if, if a fruited beer is your uh, part of your palate or not. It's part of our jam, as we like to say, with fruited beer. Um,
2: <laughs> uh, no, uh, and also if you have a twelve pack filling up your cooler, you need a bigger cooler.
1: I had lots of stuff, man. Lots <laughs> of stuff. <laughs> um, so. Storm State started back in 2018. It uh, seems uh, like you guys have uh, been around longer than that. 2017. Late 2017. I believe. Am I wrong? Uh, and now, based no, on... Oh yeah, 2017. Uh, officially
2: December 2016. Uh, and then we have our anniversary parties in January to drop people out. Okay. Uh, I believe. Uh, so, yes, we had our... Grand opening in uh, 2017 first anniversary was uh, eighteen nineteen and twenty had to be cancelled was our third one
1: um, and then uh, yeah so yes yeah, so I think we're, we're going on to six okay the information I researched was incorrect or I could be wrong because I am terrible at math so uh, I well guess. I was reading an article in the London Free Press uh, that indicated it was December 2017 and then uh, when you started with some fam- friends and family, and then January 2018, I'm could, sure I'm that definitely could be, That definitely could be right. Uh, like I said, I'm terrible at math. Okay, so in your time uh, as a brewery owner, mm-hmm. how do you feel that attitudes toward craft beer have changed in general, and more specifically in uh, your local market here in London over the last five plus years? Oh, it's it's changed
2: drastically in the past uh, five years, going on six. Um when we first opened, we were the only one of the only breweries in town to do a sour beer. Uh, Fort River uh, did that before us, but they were doing uh, what we consider like a true sour, so barrel-aged um, and that kind of situation, which are fantastic and delicious. They're Flanders Red. Um, I would encourage people to try if they can get their hands on. But we were doing cattle uh, sours, which meant that we could be doing beers in a, a lot more quicker and it meant that we could keep the price point uh, approachable. When we first opened, our sour beers uh, accounted for about 40 to 45% of all of our sales. Really? Yeah. So whether that be just a simple brittle Intervice, or a Dry Hop Sour, or a Fruited Sour, which would be part of our Shook series, um, and then eventually I transitioned into the Super Shook series, which were uh, 9% sours, um, those styles of beer accounted to about 40 to 45 percent of longer sales. Uh, lagers uh, were kind of sneered apart by, by uh, the consumer, our consumer, and so we didn't really brew them at that point. As I didn't really see uh, the light of day. Now our sour beer program makes up about four percent of our sales, whereas loggers now make up uh, twenty five thirty thirty five percent of our sales it has really shifted from being bombastic uh, dessert beers to being easy drinking beers that you don't have to think about
1: yeah I mean that seems consistent with a lot of uh, a lot of people that we've had on the pod before um, but it's—I mean—it's interesting, and I think that probably was the sweet spot like five, six years ago when everybody was desperate to, you know, try lactose beers and sours and mm-hmm. anything experimental was, um, you know, was was what people wanted at the time. And I guess IPAs would have been in the category. Then they've had the more more staying power.
2: IPAs have had a more staying power, but we've found that with our demographic here in London, at least who come to our breweries, um, interestingly enough. They're not the biggest IPA drinker.
1: Hmm.
2: We, I personally think that we make pretty good IPAs, and I'm proud of our IPAs that we brew, um, which is why we try to have a good variety of them on the board. Um, but we move a lot more of our pale ales. Okay. We'll probably move three to four times more pale ale than we will in IPA.
1: Hmm. Well, I mean, I was in here last Friday and went home with 30 beers, and I lean a little bit more to the IPA still. Mm-hmm. Um, Speaking of which, uh, I'm having a DreamTide New England IPA uh, from you here, and this is fantastic. I tried this for the first time last week and uh, had to take eight of them with me for the weekend. Uh, I'll probably leave here tonight with some more beers, but um, this is really good. I agree, your IPAs are, uh, you know, to me, are the best in the city. Uh, Hopefully there's not too many other local breweries that are listening, but uh, what are you drinking there, Justin?
2: Uh, tonight I'm drinking our Cove Pils. Uh, it's just an easy-drinking uh, pilsner. Um, a good bitterness to it, uh, which makes you want to have a second sip. Um, it's easy-drinking, and yeah, we enjoy it here. You've, how long have you guys been brewing that, the Cove Pils? Um, so our former brewer, Nate, uh, came up with this recipe, and I believe that that recipe came out uh, just over three years ago. And it's been... It has become pretty
1: much a staple. We'll have it on quite frequently. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I mentioned reading an article from the Free Press about five years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, you, know, you guys were being profiled, and specifically there was a, a lovely picture of you standing out in front of Storm State, and you haven't aged a day in five years. Um, but I want to test your memory of what was going on uh, at Storm State a month after you guys opened in terms of your plans and what this space in the brewery looked like. So first off, do you recall what your plan was for uh, your tap lineup? I think we wanted to have five or six
2: standards and five or six rotational. Um, and I think that I said that I wanted to have a Blondale, a Pale Ale, an IPA, a dark beer, a sour, and a red. I probably didn't mention a red at that point because that came a little bit later, but that has become a staple. Um, since then um then the other beers would have been uh changing out in and out um and we wanted to have guest beers at that point
1: excellent recollection uh you referenced a five by five by five five mainstays five seasonal rotational taps and five guest taps now how does your tab lineup look now compared to that original uh, yeah it does not look like that at all <laughs> we now have
2: three pretty much standards we have our pale ale uh, we have our uh, American lager, and we have a red ale. Uh, those are the three standards uh, that we always have available coming in. Um, our pale ale, is it makes up a significant portion of our sales, and we love drinking it. And so that's why it's always on. And so uh, with that beer, is we'll do riffs on it. So we've started doing the sun family. So we have sunlight, sunburst, which is the beer that we're talking about, uh, we've done uh, Super Sunburst, so it's a double IPA version of it. We've done Eclipse, which is uh, a black IPA version of it. Uh, and then we had uh, Keats, which was our American lager, and that is uh, slowly getting a, uh, a rebrand to the London series. And so really? that is the now called the London Lager. Uh, we've recently brought out the London Light, and we're looking forward to expanding that family as well. Okay. Yeah. And then the Irish Red currently sits alone. We might try to fa- uh, find a little home for that one as well. Um, but uh, thankfully, uh, London has found a thirst similar to the East Coast for uh, red ales. Um, it's surprising because a lot of people that I talk to in the brewing industry talk about how a red ale would not move in Toronto, <laughs> um, whereas that is probably one of our higher, self, higher movers here
1: which I love
2: because it's my favorite beer on the board.
1: Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. I think, and we've talked about this on the show before, that people seem to be gravitating back towards their original beers when everything was macro. When, well, maybe not macro, but you know, people who like Rickards Red in their 20s 10 years ago now are moving back to Reds. Or yeah. you know, Budweiser drinkers are moving back to Lagers. And, um, but it's nice that we're seeing all of these great, great craft versions of uh, of all these kind so, of old staple beers
2: I think so our Irish red is based on my love for Smittix okay uh, So it's, it's a great Irish red and if I see it on a tap list uh, I will drink that beer okay. um, but I do agree with you that uh, I think that the love or not love but the resurgence for easy drinking beers are I like to say beers that you don't have to think about mm. uh, and I think that that came across during the COVID uh, past couple of years, where people just didn't want to have to think about what they were drinking. They just wanted something that they could talk over Zoom with their friends or talk on their porch and yell at somebody across the street. Um, I think people didn't want to have to worry if it was going to be a flavor that they had to return or whatnot if they bought it at the beer store at the CBO. I think they just wanted to have something that they were comfortable with. And I think the lagers, the pilsners, the Irish Reds, the
1: Blondales, Ales uh, fit that niche. And it's easier to drink 15 of those on a Monday night when you're uh, trapped in your house for, uh, for two or three years on end? Exactly. I mean, most of those beers
2: are, what, 45 to 5.5%, which um, makes uh, it easier to have uh, two, three, four of them compared to an IPA at 6 to 7.5%.
1: Uh, you can't really have too many of those. Yeah, we've all gotten in trouble before thinking that four IPAs, hey, no problem, and there are seven percent, and it's like, wait a minute, that was that was seven bottles of beer. Yep, standing up after that is not a good time, good time. <laughs> um, now, the other piece from that free press article uh, had to do with the uh, how your tap or how your your room was set up here for the tap room. So, <laughs> do you recall what it looked like in here before the current incarnation? And as I look around, there's You know, there's a couple of long tables and then uh, some four person tables and a beautiful bar setup. But what do you recall what it looked like uh, in those those opening days?
2: We were looking to have more of a family style German hall um, feel where it was one long table and we wanted everybody to sit at the table and talk to their neighbor next to them who they might not have known before sitting down. Um, That really changed. Well, one, we changed that pretty soon after we opened because we found that food delivery, beer delivery didn't work with that format very easily. Uh, but also that's changed quite a bit because of COVID. People didn't want to sit beside people they didn't know.
1: Fair enough. Fair yeah. enough. It's It's, it's given people an excuse not to talk to people they don't know. <laughs> yeah. Do you want to make new friends? No. No, I don't. Yeah. Um, we're going to take a quick break here uh, and hear from our sponsor. And... Uh, then we'll continue on. Um, are you looking for a smooth, lightly filtered lager with a balanced taste and crisp finish? Grab the bull by the horns. Longhorn Lager from Farmer's Creed Beer is available at select beer and LCBO stores. Details at FarmersCreedBeer.com We've got a new sponsor recently, uh, and now we do this in the middle of the show. That's my first time reading it. Um, it was great. Did it? Did it go? Did well, it it was fantastic. Right? Now, there's. We were talking before we got on here that we sound. Or maybe our voices sound a little similar. Hopefully, our listeners can tell who's talking and who's not talking. I'm asking most of the questions. Justin's giving most of the answers. Sometimes I'll ask some questions, but uh, that will just make things confusing. Okay. Um, now we were uh, we were talking about some of those uh, early beers from Storm State. In your lineup now, how many of those are are the original beers that you opened with? Like, there's is Moonshadow? Do you guys still brew Moonshadow? We brew
2: Moonshadow every once in a while. Um, it used to be a fixture that we had all the time. During the pandemic, we really stopped with that one because that one always moved on uh, draft. But barely moved in cans, hmm. and so it didn't make sense for us to package it if it wasn't gonna if it was just gonna take up room in our fridge and so we do brew that two to three times a year, but it's not as often as we used to brew it okay uh Sunburst uh, was one of the first beers that we produced uh, our Blondel that we uh, originally produced evolved into Keats, which is now uh, evolved into the uh, London lager, so that is. A different beer, but it has its origins from that beer. Uh, we started off with a. Uh, uh, we started off with an American porter, and we don't brew that beer as much as we should. Uh, we used to have that all the time, but same as as uh, the Moonshadow, uh, just took up too much room in the cold room, um, especially in the summertime. Um, then the Irish Red was another one that we have all the time.
1: Yeah, I mean maybe there's some beers that can do well in a tap room, but people are, are less inclined to take home four or six of them.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, like our, our percentages, our ratios have completely changed from what they used to be, right? Uh, pre-pandemic, we were doing 80% tap room, 20% to go. Uh, really? Obviously, yeah, huh. yeah. And then uh, obviously during the pandemic, that switched to 100% to go. Um, but even still now, we're, our numbers are still uh, 20% tap room. 80% to go. Uh, and so we're relying heavily on
1: cans uh, versus uh, draft pours. Well, that surprises me because there's, there's usually a pretty good presence in here every time I come in, even if I'm just grabbing something to go and and usually I'll get coaxed in. I grew up in the neighborhood. Somebody will say, hey, you have time for a beer?
2: Yeah. yeah. And I mean like our our, our group of people that are coming back in, uh, slowly growing again. So that's always good to see. Um, but I think that people's drinking habits have changed um, and where somebody would have three beers or four beers, uh, they've probably reduced down to
1: two beers or one, uh, not me, not me. Um, now that, that sort of leads into the next question I had for you. So, uh, to me, Storm State represents what a craft brewery should be, uh, a community hub where people can come and thank you. and consume delicious beer, uh, uh. I know this was one of your original intents uh, from when you started here. So I'm a little surprised actually about the taproom sales still lagging behind. But how how did you approach that? How did you go about trying to uh, intentionally design a community space and, and, and have it be kind of a local mainstay for the neighborhood? Was it conscious or did it just sort of happen organically?
2: I mean, it was conscious. Um, so whenever we, uh, we used to host uh, farmer's markets, Uh, more frequently than we do. We still have a CSA uh, that comes by. Uh, We try to do trivia to kind of encourage the same group of people, the same group of friends to intermingle and meet up, Um, things like that. Um, We are very open to having um, new parents come down with children, which is... Not something that you see in a lot of breweries and a lot of other places, and we're, we love that. Uh, we want people to feel comfortable here. Uh, that, that's pretty much what, we, what we've always strived to do, is we want people
1: to be comfortable being here. you got to start the next generation of drinkers early, too, right? Exactly. Is yep. that Will that be like a sun, like a... Like a, a father and son, will that be like a Sun series beer that so the babies can drink too? Uh, I,
2: that that hasn't uh, crossed our mind yet. I'm not sure if the AGCO would appreciate that.
1: Fair enough. Fair enough. enough. I was trying to I was trying to give some non alcoholic beer to my son and his friends earlier mm. this week. He's fourteen, and my wife shut it down. That I was glamorizing drinking and beer. Uh, I don't know that non alcoholic beer is a is a gateway to alcoholic beer. Maybe it is. I've always viewed it as
2: um, we should allow people to realize what substance it is and for them to um, make their own decisions about it. Um, If somebody wants to have a beer with supper then it should be allowed. If somebody wants to have a beer in the park. I believe that should also be allowed. Um, consumption without excess is the name of the game, essentially. Um,
1: and if, as long as you're being respectful to to the people around you, that's my opinion on it. Yeah, I don't really get it. We're we're uh, behind so many other nations in the world that just kind of, if they permit access and people can drink wherever they want in a responsible fashion. People don't seem to abuse it as much. And that's exactly it. They'll,
2: people who have access to it without demonizing it, uh, they will not binge drink. They'll not o- over-indulge. Indulge?
1: Over-consume. Hmm. Yeah, over-indulge is probably OK, too. I, 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 um, let me ask you about your can size here. Uh, that sounded more sexual than I intended. Um, Ben and I talk about it. Ben, probably more frequently, this is probably a question that he would have loved to have asked. What made you go with a short can? It's ben is, seems to be obsessed with the delivery form of beer. Um, he wants short bottles back for some reason, but anything that's different seems to draw his interest. But what was the decision-making process for going with short cans?
2: We love short cans specifically because it allows you to have a beer and you don't feel bad about having a second beer. Because if you're having a tall boy, you're drinking half a liter of beer. Really, do I want to have a full liter of beer? It's, feels, it's a mental block that I, probably on a weekday, would probably not go for that second beer. With a short can, I probably will. And it allows me to finish my beer while still cold in the same... Quality that the brewer wanted me to experience it as. Whereas if I were to get it in a tall boy, I drink slow enough that that beer had warmed up, lost its carbonation, um, and it would probably be, not be prime by the time I finish my drink. That's because I'm a slower, I'm a slower drinker. That's why I go with the short cans. I mean, nothing stopping me from having two, three, or more but it allows me to also have a good variety between those couple different beers whereas i find that if i'm having a tall boy i'm probably going to have that one and done
1: yeah that's fair i mean I, uh, like i said I, I bought a bunch of storm stayed last weekend went up to the cottage was down at the beach and it was nice to bring down a six with six different beers and they're cold i mean the only dangerous thing is you get towards the end of a beer and you usually drink that last little bit quickly so. Uh, I mean, good for you guys for your sales because now I need to get more more yeah. beer for this weekend. It's just kind of
2: frustrating because uh, what we found is uh, the LCBO really favors uh, the tall boys, um, and we're trying to push for for the smaller beers. We think that that is the prime format.
1: Well, it seems like you know. I mean, London is maybe a little behind in terms of time in the craft beer scene, but with the short cans. You know you have storm state and you have anderson here and it's been short cans from day one mm-hmm. uh, and now you're starting to see it with some you know some other breweries matron comes to mind but uh, i think some of the other breweries that are big craft breweries in the gta might start getting into short cans too it seems to be you know a trend but i mean i love the rationale for why you did it that makes so much sense to me it's your own beer drinking habits that you share probably with with a lot of beer drinkers out there exactly yeah um tell me a little bit about your marketing here um now uh you know you started kind of simple just different colors for the different beer i, I think if you've kind of retained uh the simplicity and the design but very striking um you know what uh What's the approach to marketing? What led to kind of the shift that you guys had over the last, when you, you kind of adjusted things, when a couple years ago, something like that.
2: So the shift from the, uh, very simple, uh, black with multicolor, uh, bands, uh, happened because we ran out of colors. Okay. Yeah. So we, uh, we would make a beer, put it in the fridge and realize that we already had four beers with blue on the label and people would walk away with the wrong beer, and then call us up and say, hey, about the wrong beer. And it's well, did you read what you're buying? People are visual, they don't necessarily read. Um, and so that was one of the impetuses to change each label to be completely different from the other ones. Now we do have some, like I said, families that they do have some similarities between one and the other. So the Sun family, the Shook family, those are very similar. There'll be some color variations between those. Uh, but the other ones, we're big fans of uh, geometric, uh, nice swoops. Um, and so we're just looking at just having a pop of color uh, in your kitchen fridge. Uh, that was one of the main things that we wanted to go for. And it allows us to have a bit of fun.
1: I like it. Yeah, I know it's, it's been a nice, nice, the ship that you guys made a couple of years ago. Very right. striking. Um, okay, so... Um, What are you drinking these days? What is your beer of choice? Uh, Maybe beyond Smittix because you already mentioned it, but but what, what would be your style or is there a craft brewery that you got on a specific beer that you're really enjoying these days?
2: I mean, like the simple answer that everybody gives is always the beer that's in front of me. Um, that's not always true. I think that lately I've been gravitating more towards lagers and easy drinking beers, mostly because I'm usually tired by the time I get home and I just want to have something I don't have to worry about or think about. With that being said, I often don't drink my own beers whenever I'm at home, uh, because I find that i become too critical of them. Um, I'm looking for flaws in them or I'm looking for an issue that might not actually be there, but I'm always worried that there might be something there. Um, and so I'm often drinking beers that are from other breweries that I've visited. Um, we can call that research and development. Uh, seeing same what somebody it. did, yeah, uh, how we could do the same thing if we wanted to. Uh, did they do a different technique that we liked, that we didn't like? Um, is that a hop combination that we would avoid? Uh, so, for instance, I've realized that uh, I really don't like Brewaka and I probably will never use that hop. Okay. Um, so you learn that by trying other people's beers and then uh, and, and then working with that. Yeah. Now, do you talk to other uh, brewers at uh, different as, breweries? Or? As much as I can, yeah. Um, I think that's a great thing about the craft beer industry. Excuse me. I think that's a great thing about the craft beer industry is uh, how open everybody is with sharing information. Um, because everybody wants to help each other. Everybody wants the industry to get better, and everybody wants uh, it to be in the hands of more consumers. Uh, I mean, craft beer makes up such a small portion of the market. I think it's still only about 6% of the market. It's shocking,
1: shocking to me, still.
2: Yeah, right? Yeah. So, I mean, like 6% of what are we in London? Half a million people, and half of those can't drink. We're looking at not a lot of people. Mm -hmm. The rest are all drinking, you know, Budweiser, Molson, Coors. Um, So we're not fighting, arguing, or uh, we're not against those other breweries. We're working with those other breweries. And uh, that allows us to have some fun collaborations, and uh, it means that we can go visit them, it means that we can learn from them, and then we can come back home and make our product better. Yeah, so I would say I do a lot of research, not a lot, I do research and development by trying other people's products, and it's usually products that they themselves say, hey, try this, I thought this was delicious,
1: and then... I'm gonna make a note of that. Research and development. Next time I come home with three cases of beer, when I just go away for two hours for a work trip or something. Um, so what uh, what's next for Storm State? Any fresh beers coming up? You mentioned the London series, which I hadn't seen. That actually that that Keats had uh, had been rebranded there, because I thought I had some Keats, you know, last week or something. But yeah, is so- it? I mean,
2: so Keats is still in the fridge. Um, we, we've we been lucky that uh, that just got accepted into the LCBO, uh, so that will be a fall seasonal, um, and so that will be sticking around for a little bit. I don't want it to go. I love the name. I love the label. Um, it's mostly a a fun joke uh, or an inside joke to myself. Uh, my father can't pronounce THs, and so every time I'd go home, he'd offer me a Keats. But he'd always offer it to me as a Keats. And so that's, and that essentially is kind of like a Kleenex as well, right? It, uh, it represents every beer. Uh, so he would have a Gahan or he'd have a Clancy's or whatnot. And uh, he would say, hey, do you want a Keats? Uh, so to me, that is the equivalent to beer.
1: Huh.
2: Uh, so that's why we named our lager that beer. Uh, so that beer is in Yale CBO or will be in Yale CBO. Uh so i don't it will be a slow transition away from it um, Big projects um we are trying to keep it low key at the moment. I mean our next we've been doing a number of um festivals uh in-house, and we're really enjoying those. They take a lot of effort it's a lot of stress. Uh, but we think that they're going back to the community building. It allows us to meet our neighbors and have great chats over good beers. So we've had our Sour Fest and we had our Lager Festival, which just happened. Um, we're considering now as to whether we want to do a Stout Festival, a Cask Festival in London, or an IPA Festival. Yeah. I mean, if you think about it, a lot of people just think, oh, an IPA, you're just getting the hazy boys. But yes, those are fantastic. Uh, but do you want to drink? 20 different hazy IPAs? Probably not right after one after another. But if you want to have a fruited IPA, a sour IPA, West Coast IPA, a black IPA, an East Coast IPA, you can name a bunch of IPAs right off the hop. Well that makes it a little bit different. And that might be something that's interesting to try. And that was great, that that is what was great about the Cast Days Festival that used to happen in Toronto, or still does, to a smaller degree, was you would go to that festival and sure everything was on cask, but there was, um, 300 different beers. None of them, no two were the same. And I think that we kind of, we've tried to do that with our sour festival. Um, okay. This is a sour that you're bringing that's going to be completely different from this one. And we've tried to curate that with our lager festival. It's a little bit more difficult because so many people make delicious pilsners. And so we've been able to try to curate that to um, people's strengths that we've noticed. So some people make really good dessert pilsners, and some people make good, really dark pilsners or lager, sorry. Um, And so I think different festivals are something that we'll be trying to do in our area.
1: That's because we enjoy them. What do you think about the AI fad in, uh, in brewing?
2: I think that the AI fad in uh brewing was a gimmick to make people think about it Mm. i think that brewing while is very scientific oriented at least that's the way that i like to approach it is also very much an art form um and you can't just only look at a recipe and it's done it's you have to realize all right that hop doesn't taste good with this hop. I
1: mean, you got uh, a history with brewing too, right? Like you yeah. know what's going to work, what's not going to work, and some of it's about feel, right, probably? Yeah.
2: I think, I mean, like, if you look at the different calculators that already exist, like I, if it tells me to put in X number of kilograms of a malt, it should be this color. Well, you need to use your system a certain amount of time before you realize that that's right or that's wrong. And we've realized with our system that's wrong most of the time. And so we realize with our system, how to make it the way we want it to taste. Um, maybe AI will get to a point that it will be able to do that. It's not there yet. Um, and I think that AI generated recipes. <laughs> I think that they're currently just a gimmick to draw attention to something that's potentially job changing for other industries, whether they're taking jobs away from somebody. Or, I think that's mostly
1: it, is I'm just worried about it taking other people's jobs. Yeah. I mean, if AI takes over the world, then they can't do beer because there will be no one left to drink it. Exactly. Nobody wants that. Yeah. The 1920s, it'll just go back into the underground. People will brew that way. Um, Well, thanks for having me, Justin. Really appreciate it. No, Uh, thank you for
2: coming down and making the trek out to, to our spot.
1: Well, yeah, this is a local spot. This is uh, every time I'm, I grew up in the south end of the city, but every time mm-hmm. I'm down this way, I will always find a reason to, to come in and, and, uh, and buy some beer. Anyone that's coming into London, uh, make, it, make it a destination that you come into, uh, into Storm State and check it out and meet Justin and, and all the nice people here at Storm State and try some delicious beer. Thank you. Thanks a lot, Justin.
0: A Longhorn. Longhorn Lager?
1: Do I look like a sasparilla man to you?
0: One Longhorn coming up.
1: Longhorn Lager by Farmer's Creed Beer. Grab the bull by the horns at select beer and LCBO stores.